You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. You have made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. Um, let's see. So it's amazing how many psalm there, psalms there are and other partial chapters in the Bible here and there. Um, having to do specifically, we're going on a creation thing, we're going to talk about God's provisions for man's needs, but it's amazing to me as you're reading through the Bible how many different like passages, relatively long passages, have details about the time of creation. Francis Bacon, you ever heard that name, you older people, when they used to study history and things like that in school? Francis Bacon, 1561 to 1626, he said his three things he wanted to do was uncover truth, serve his country, and serve his church. Tragically, it doesn't say serve as God, but um, he said that well, there's two books, the book of nature and the book of the Bible, that describe who, God's I- who God is or what God's nature is. And it's not exactly true. It's true to an extent, but it's not exactly true in that the book of nature has been tainted for a, in a couple ways. First of all, when it was initially created before the fall, um, it was different than after the fall because we learned that after the fall we have thorns and thistles and things like that. And then again, at uh, so we have the time, so we have the perfection, then we have the fall, and then we have the flood. We have no rain before the flood, then we have rain after the flood. We have no flooding except for the earth being pulled out of the waters before the flood, and now we have the earth covered with water. The, the terrain is established, and then the water covers the terrain, and runs back off. So it leaves a different mark on nature, or a different mark of degradation on nature and things like that. So it's really hard to look at nature specifically. That's why men struggle. They look at nature and they say, well, the Bible is wrong because the Bible says that everything is, should be this way. But in nature, we see these fossil layers and they're way deep and all these things. And so therefore, this is, this is what really happened. But the reality is, is we can't tell by looking at nature who God is exactly, but we can look at the Bible and he can tell us what happened in nature that made nature look like it looks. You know what I'm saying? Well, Cindy's like, what are you talking about? Anyway, the point is, two books, and one of them is a little bit tainted, and that's the book of nature. In our recent study on Job that Dave just finished there, Job 38, verse 4, it says, this is God speaking. So outside of Genesis, or an individual spoken word to a prophet, the Lord said unto so-and-so, whatever, and he gives them this prophecy or whatever. But outside of that, Job is where we see God speak the most, outside of Christ, of course, in the New Testament. And his question to Job is, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Where were you when I, I was there, but you weren't there? And the question is really, where were you or, or anyone like you, any other human where were you you weren't there um proverbs go to proverbs this is a really good proverbs 8 so i'm gonna stretch my neck out just a tad you can take me to task and call john MacArthur and see if i'm telling you the truth but in in proverbs chapter 8 we see a place where wisdom is described as a person and so if i was had to put my finger on who wisdom was who would you say dave I, wisdom, was with God in the beginning. Who's wisdom? I think it's the Spirit. I could be wrong. I think it's the Holy Spirit because it's the driving 
impetus through the word, you know, but all three are there, but in this case, I don't know. I, in me, it could be Christ, but I, I, I kind of, like I said, it seems to be the Spirit, because the Spirit's, you know, just like the Spirit works in us, the way we make decisions is, is it works in our conscience or whatever, if we're listening for the Spirit's voice, um, you know, it speaks. Verse 22, chapter 8, verse 22. <clears throat> Listen to wisdom. Earlier is where it says, I wisdom was with him uh, in the beginning. Uh, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. So before the earth, before the beginning, before in the beginning, I wisdom was there. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he had prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should pass his commandment, when, the appointed, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was with him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of this earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. God was delighted to create men. It goes on to say how important it is to understand wisdom, but just in that part right there, we see parts of the creation that's not necessarily described the same way in Genesis 1. So we see some different things there, but the part I liked right there was that rejoicing in the habitable parts of the earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. What does it say, Dave? 31. Delighting in the children of Adam, God created everything, then he delighted to make man and place him there in dominion over it, which is what we talked about this morning. So there's so much going on. So here's the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one looking at Christ and his movement on in time on earth from a different perspective. Here's the Spirit's perspective. Again, I, I, wouldn't go, I wouldn't go and have a debate with John MacArthur or, you know, whoever uh, on that, but it's, it seems very reasonable that it would be either the Holy Spirit or Christ that's speaking there. But in that, it's their perspective on what happened in the beginning. There's so much going on in such a short period of time in the beginning. And I also noticed that in the beginning, if we looked at it, he spends, God spends a lot more day in doing seemingly less in the beginning. In the beginning, the first thing he does is create light. He just lets there be light, and there's light. Right? There is no light, and now there's light. And it says the evening and the morning, the first day, you're like, that's it? Because on this other day, you take the earth out of the waters, and you make some plants, and then the next day you make birds, and and all, I mean, you're making, it seems like you're making a lot more stuff. But apparently, the making of light, the making of the firmament, the separating of the, the, the uh, atmosphere from the earth, and, um, and then on the third day, the ma making the dry land appear, apparently that takes a, a lot more effort in the chemical reactions and whatever's going on than it does to make the birds and all the other stuff that comes from there, right? You know, it needs, what's wrong? Oh, Renetta, I thought you were giving me the high sign there. What, what am I doing? That's enough on the birds. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll go to the next thing. Okay, I like the birds. 
Okay, so uh, the Holy Spirit's perspective, and there's so much going on in such a short period of time that it couldn't be discerned today, if we look at this book of nature, we couldn't discern it as men. No single man or group of men because we weren't there, but the Holy Spirit was, Christ was. Those ones spoke directly about the things that happened then. And so since we weren't there, we have to take the word of those that were there. And we have to take that as the gospel truth. Only God was there. So it's not an excuse for sloppiness and discovery or anything like that by men or scientists. Like, well, I guess just God, only God knows. I mean, but that is a legitimate answer. Only God knows. So much has changed. And, and the biggest change, of course, well, the two big changes were the fall and the flood. So those two things, we're going to see them as we get further along in Genesis, but we're not going to look at that right now. So we go back to the setup of the earth's beginnings. And we're going to go back through Genesis chapter 1 again. There's more going on in Genesis chapter 1 than we ever would dig out in months and months. I think we're going to be in chapter 2 next week or so. But the first thing that we see in chapter 1, what I want you to see is I, I called this message God's provision for man's needs. So everything that was put together, everything that was established in the beginning was put there by God to put man over. He designed it with the goal of having man take dominion over. So like um, on earth as it is in heaven, like kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's God's design. So this was supposed to be heaven place too, but man immediately sins and every man after him, you know, I, I don't know if, if Eve is, you know, it says and Eve conceived. So it's after the fall, but it could have been if she conceives before the fall, this child is without sin. But since she conceives immediately after the fall or soon after the fall, well, then there's sin in there, and there's been sin ever since. God, rather than wiping out and starting over, he continues on with, with what he has there. So the first provision that God puts in place is the provision of light. He does it for man. If the light is good, is, is light good? When we look at light, I mean, I like light. We've got light now. Um, if, if it's good, it comes from God. Everything that's good and perfect comes down from the Father of lights. So if it's good, it comes from God. The word good is rooted in the word God. I don't know if you know that. It's a, it's a, so when you're saying like good heavens, you're actually saying God heavens. Like goodness gracious, you're saying God gracious. It's a word that was expanded from the word God. Did you know that? It's an old word. And so the word good comes from the word God. If it's good, it comes from God. God provides light. How good is God that he is the provider of light? It's designed by God for men to be able to see and work and acknowledge him as creator by it. They can see the, his creation by the light that he that he makes and with the initial provision of light this is something that is um maybe you heard this before maybe you haven't but with the provision of light comes the provision of time uh psalm 74 16 it says the day is thine and the night also is thine thou hast prepared the light and the sun before this it's all darkness all the time and it's an interesting thing too that the way God describes a day is not as we describe the day. It starts the evening before. So technically, uh, well, we're not quite in evening yet, I suppose. But as soon as it's dark, we're on Monday. We would say that the day started this morning at daylight, 6 o'clock or something. But the way God does it, he takes, it says, the evening and the morning the first day. The evening, the morning, the second day. So the day, the day starts with rest. 
that provides provision for man, readiness for work in the light. Every day begins that way. God established it. He drew the light from the darkness, and he designed that the evening would come first, and then the morning. And we, we tend to think of it as opposite. First uh, Timothy 6.16, Who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting glory. Amen. God knew that men would need light, therefore he provided light. He gives it to them. He says, let there be light. The evening, rest first, and then the morning, go to work, the first day. Genesis 1, uh, 6 through 8. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. He made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament to the waters that were above the firmament, and it was so. He called the firmament heaven. The evening and the morning were the second day. Again, the, the day ended, you know, uh, so um, Sunday, um, Sunday afternoon ended, and now it became Monday, the, the second day, the evening first, the rest, and then the preparation for the work the next day. He prepared the firmaments for men. So he prepared the light for men. The next thing he provides for men is the firmament. It's, we covered this pretty well on Sunday there a couple weeks ago, but... It's the, the perfect expanses of air and oxygen and all the different chemicals and the breezes and the clouds and the inner and outer uh, atmospheres without which man in our created estate could not survive. Not to mention the aspect of the moisture, that the, the regulated amount of moisture that's in the atmosphere that man needs to process. You need a certain amount in your lungs, you know, um, <clears throat> to uh, be able to breathe. Uh, whatever percentage of, of water that we're made of we see that, that this water is in place, and he pulls out of the water what he needs for air, but he leaves water there. We don't really think of the water being created, but it's here. It's in place. We don't see it. Um, I don't see a place where it says God created the waters, but it does say uh, God saw the light, divided it. Oh, wait, sorry. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, so he creates something. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the deep is the water. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So there's water somehow as God speaks it into existence. And out of that, he makes the atmosphere. So um, Psalm 8.3, it was, I, I don't know, when you read that, I, I, I meant to listen for that if it said that, Dave. But in 8 verse 3, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, it's a, are the skies artistic? Is, is the atmosphere itself artistic? If you look outside right now, I think you would say that it was somewhat artistic as the sun setting and the, the evening, you know, the moon and, you know, the, the sunrise or the moonrise and whatever, and we end up with the different colors. But it's interesting that Psalm calls it the work of God's fingers because back here he talks about speaking it into existence. And here it's more like a designed piece of artwork that he's putting together. Is the heavens artistic? Yes. Uh, the, the clouds coming in a storm in, in the great state of Texas where I grew up, you would see these thunderheads come that you don't see here because of the, the mountains. But they call it, you ever heard of that, the anvil cloud that looks like an anvil? Man, it would be tall. When you saw that coming, it was fixing to be on. You were going to get quarter-size hail, and there was going to be some damage. But you could see it a long way off. And, uh, I mean, is, is there artistry in that? Is there, um, is there work in that? Um, so, anyway, he, he talks about the stars even as being artistic, sun, moon, and stars. They call it God's handiwork. 
his craftsmanship. And his craftsmanship has a twofold purpose. Well, maybe more. But one is, he likes it. Why do people create art? They don't Few people create art to sell it. Most people begin creating art because they like it. It's what's in them. Why do musicians make music? They know, Jed knows there's no way he's making a living, getting paid, making millions of dollars to sing songs. Why does he sing songs then? Because he likes to sing. He enjoys playing the guitar. He enjoys music. He enjoys seeing other people play music. He enjoys listening to music. The artistic side is not, you don't do it because of the wealth. You do it because you like it. So the first reason that God did all of these things is because he liked it. And the second reason is he was preparing an Eden for men. He was preparing a place that he could place mankind where he could enjoy men doing what men do in his creation. And I think maybe even a third reason is, is so that men could enjoy it as well. How many people go to the, you know, they never get up early, but let them go to the beach and they'll get up before daylight to go down to watch the sunrise over the ocean. Men get joy from seeing God's creative handiwork um, come into fruition there. So, so the first thing God creates is this light that we need. Then he creates time that man needs to be able to, to mark different situations. Then he creates the firmament and the oxygen and all those things. And not only that, the handiwork of the beauty of what he designed. Next, he creates the earth that he gathers together out of the sea. He, doesn't, he draws it out of the sea, however he does that, and stacks it up. And he separates the earth from the seas. Psalm 104 is a good testimony of that one. It's a pretty long verse, but it's another one of those first uh, chapters, like the whole chapter is about God's creation. 104, 6, and 7. It says, well, we can start at 4. Uh, let's start at 5. Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? Thou coverest it with a deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled, and at the voice of thy thunder they hastened away. They go up by the mountains and go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. And you have set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. And he sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowl of the heavens have their habitation which sing among. He waters the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of thy works. So he draws the earth out. I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know, you can just imagine that thing coming up and in the water running off and creating the crevices and the and the waterfalls and the valleys and the streams and all those things. He covered it with the deep. And he made treasures both in the earth and in the seas for men to discover. He, they were there immediately because we see back in um, day three that it says that the earth brings forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. The seed was in the earth. So there was already seed in the earth. There was seed in the plant. It was a fully fruiting plant, a fully fruiting tree. When Adam is placed in this place, it was complete and ready for his occupation. And they were all these treasures in land and in sea were put there for men to be edified by physically, um, materially, financially, and emotionally. Um, I was talking this morning. I mentioned this morning. I don't even want to today, but the... Uh, about, you know, how much enjoyment kids have or people have, you know, having a pet or, or picking fruit. You know, you take a kid to a, a blueberry patch and they're just gobbling them down. You know, there's a lot of joy involved by men in, 
in dealing with the natural part of God's creation, and I've told you before how much I enjoy, I think one of my favorite things is cutting timber, because it's like I had nothing to do with, with the plant. This tree's 150 years old. And it seems brutal to go in there with a saw and hack it down, you know, and cut some logs out of it. But through no effort of my own, I get to process this tree, and I have a sawmill too, and I can take it, I can saw it into boards, I can make something out of it. And it was all put there for me to take dominion over. And I, when I think about that, when I touch it, I make something out of it, a finished thing out of it, it, you get a lot of joy out of that. It doesn't look the same. It's not round with rough bark when you're done, but it was put there for man's edification. So I gain not just physically or spiritually, but I gain emotionally and joyfulness and, and even in the work and the sweat of my brow, the Bible says, is how I'm going to earn my living. So I cut the tree and I saw the tree and I make it into something and I have joy in doing that and there's a financial reward at the end. And all that was put there by God. It was all part of his design in the very beginning. And as soon as the earth was gathered, there was a provision in it for life. In the earth, as God spoke it, pulls it out of the waters. In that is the seeds. In that is the plant. In that is the gold, silver, and the platinum, and the copper, and the iron, and all the components, the rare, the rare minerals, and emeralds, and diamonds, and all those things, as well as the seed and the fruit-bearing plants are all in there. And we don't have to wait. Like I said this morning, you don't have to wait for the fruit to produce. It was there. When Adam was there, it was there. And that verse says, Lord, what is man that, that you have thus visited him and regarded him? What, wh who am I that you have thought about me, Lord? What, what am I? What was Adam? He was made out of dirt. But God had thought about all these things beforehand in preparation for Adam's coming and placement in there. Matthew Henry said, that such care should be taken and such provision made for the support and preservation of those guilty and obnoxious lives which have been 1,000 times forfeited. So many people every day have no thought whatsoever to the King of Kings and the God of all creation who by the spoken word of his mouth provided their fare, provided their food for that day or their clothing or their lodging. It doesn't, it didn't happen by chance. None of those things happened by chance. But the Lord provided it anyway. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So, but he sh so God shares. So all these selfish, um, self-focused people on earth get to share in all the things that are rightly God's. Even whether they reject his authority and his goodness or not, they still get to share in that. And it's even more miraculous is that this creation that he made, it's an ongoing machine. It, didn't, it was a one-time creation. We need to remember that. And it is a degrading machine. Somebody, uh, Adam, took a handful of sand and threw it into this precision machine. Just like if you took a handful of sand and threw it into a motor. It may not kill it then, but it's going to in time. You could keep changing the oil, keep changing the oil, keep changing the oil, but there's still some sand in there, and eventually it's going to get in that bearing and it's going to burn that. It's going to burn that crank up. And that's what's going on with here. We're a long way from the original creation. From what I can discover, what I understand, I believe that Adam, you're going to call me crazy on this, but I think I've told you before, that guy was probably 15, 16 foot tall, maybe taller, maybe 18 foot. He was huge. And men have gotten smaller and smaller. They've found, the reason I say that, they've found skeletons all over the earth between 14 and 18 foot tall. So people were bigger than they are now. It sounds crazy. 
There's a, there's a skeleton on display in Sweden somewhere that they dug up in Peru, and the thing's like almost 17, 16 foot tall. Taller than the roof of the building here on the outside. Not here. This is only 12, I think, or 10. Imagine a man that tall. Yeah, they got some bones like that in the Smithsonian. They got a, they got a leg bone at the Smithsonian. The man had to have been at least 14 foot tall. These people were huge before the flood. After the flood, things changed. People got smaller. The graves that they believe are Noah and his wife's grave on Ararat, the graves themselves are longer than 13 feet. Noah was a big man. His wife was a big woman. Okay, so stuff got smaller. It doesn't get bigger. So the creation is not ongoing, but it is self-replicating in a sense in that peach trees always make peach trees, pine trees make pine trees, you know, you know, you know, I was say, Charlie's make Charlie's, Cindy's make Cindy's. We keep, we keep producing after our own kind. Chickens make chickens, ducks make ducks, pigs make pigs, and so on. Um, and this is another thing, is that we try to take credit for things that God does. But Hosea 2.9 says, therefore, this is talking about a rebellious people. If you don't repent, therefore, I will return and take away my grain in its time, my new wine in its season. I will take back my wool and my linen. You know, linen comes from a plant. And they thresh the plant out, and they keep beating it. They grow it in England a lot. And it's just a real fibrous plant, and they keep beating it and beating it and pulling the things apart, and that's where you get linen from. And it's very valuable today, as it always has been, because it's cool. But God says, whose grain is it? Whose wine is it? Whose wool is it? Who owns the sheep that you get? Well, that's my sheep. No, it ain't. You had no part in making that sheep. God made that sheep. You might have control of the sheep, but that ain't your sheep. That's God's sheep. That's God's wool on that sheep. And I think we need to remember that. It's God's provision for man's needs. He puts it there, and he's like, here you go. And I always come back to that. I just remember when the kids were little, and I'd be sitting in a chair, and they'd bring me some silly toy or something that I purchased. You know, there's some little thing, a doll or a, a car or whatever. And they bring it up to you and hand it to you. And then they just expect you to just hand it right back to them, and then they would run off and play with it. And the kid, in his mind, thinks that he owns that car or that little dolly or whatever. And the reality is, you own the kid and you own the toy, and you don't care. That, I mean, you, you gain joy by seeing the child play with the thing you purchased for him. But in the child's mind, they own it. And it's the same thing. That's us with God. In our minds, that's my sheep, that's my car, you know, that's my grain, that's my meal I had at lunch today, and whatever. And God, just by his merciful goodness, he's like, you may use it. But just know, if I want to, I can take it back. Genesis 1, 14 through 19, the provision for men of the sun, moon, and stars, for the telling of times and for seasons, for weather, for men's discipline, and for the pleasure of men, both. Ecclesiastes 3, 1, it says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the sun. How ungrateful and inexcusable are we, then, this is another Matthew Henry quote, when God set up these lights for us to work by, we either sleep by day or play, particularly indoors. I added that because that's so common nowadays is to not even go outside. And trifle away the time of business and neglect the great work we were sent into the world to be about. How ungrateful and inexcusable are we when God set up these lights for us to work by and in that time, we either sleep or play, particularly indoors, and trifle away the time of business and neglect the great work we're sent into the world to be about. What's the great work? 
the lights of the firmament were placed there as a provision by God to serve men to do the work that he called us to do. Even the, even the sun, moon, and stars are put there to serve men. Think about that. Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus saith the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night? Who disturbs the sea and its waves roar? And then he tells them, the Lord of hosts is his name. That's who. Who gives it? He gives it, gives it freely to us. Use it, but use it for his glory. Be diligent with your time. It's so frustrating to me to see people on their cell phones all the time. And I'm as guilty as anyone for using it for, you know, looking up something or looking at the weather or, or too many texts or too many phone calls or whatever. But we're, wait, we're giving our lives away that we should be given to the glory of God. He provides us light for the day for us to work and night at night to rest in. Genesis 1.20 through 23 <clears throat> the teeming seas and the air, the birds and the sea creatures. It, he gives those, we're all, just, just keep thinking, back of your mind, the provision of God to men. He gives all of them, the beauty of them and the viability of them as well. He gives them all to men. They, repro they reproduce with no effort of men. Think about that. The birds do. The fish do. The little tiny micro critters that the fish eat. The little tiny bugs that the birds eat. The grain, the wheat seeds, and the weed seeds that fall to the ground that feed the birds. And it's all for, for uh, man's good pleasure. <clears throat> and they're per they were placed there before Adam ever saw or thought about them. And they continue on through the generations of men, having no man ever to cultivate them from generation to generation. Think about that. I mean, we're worried about the oceans now, how much plastic's in there. You can't eat all the fish in there. It's not possible. It self-replicates, however that is. So it goes through the generations with more hindrance from men than help. Genesis 1, 24 and 25. <coughs> we have the land animals. All the, all the varieties. Think about the varieties of land animals that God thought about that Adam was going to need. Some that are wild and separated from men. Some that are tamer. Some that are for food. Some that are for food and clothing. Some that are for clothing and work. Some that are just strictly for work, like a horse. You know, a cow, he could, be, he could pull or he could be eaten or he could use his hide for leather. You know, his brains to tan the leather that's in the cow. Um, the sheep, you can eat the meat. You can have the, the wool, you know, boil the feet for gelatins and different things, uh, glues and different things. There's so many products when any animal... And he separated them for men. And if you look in uh, Exodus there and in Leviticus where it talks about the animals and what animals you could and couldn't eat, it didn't say you couldn't use them. He said don't eat them. So even the birds could be harnessed in some way or another. You like to use a carrier pigeon or whatever. Man has taken dominion over the critters of the earth in one way or another in a lot of ways. And all those were put there for man's pleasure, for man's service, for man to take control over, for man to hunt if he so desire, also to discipline men. I noticed in Revelation there's a part there that talks about the wild beasts, and also in uh, Exodus where God told the Israelites, I'm not going to let you take the whole land because there's so many wild beasts in the land, you won't be able to overcome the beasts. So you've got to push them out gradually, the bears and the lions and all that stuff. So you've got to move them to the side or they'll overtake you. Kind of like when they took over the United States back in the day. 
you know, they had to fight. They didn't just fight the Indians. They fought the Indians and the bears and the grizzly bears and the wolves and the whatever else. So God pushes them ahead and, and use them for his purposes. And they're all placed there before men as a provision for him, yet with all the wisdom of God in those animals for their purpose. And this was, I, I told you this this morning, and I really, I really, this was the verse that really spoke to me this morning. That's why I mentioned it this morning, but I'm going to mention it again tonight. <clears throat> so God does all these things, makes these provisions for men all along, the light, the air, the land, the plants, the animals, the birds, all these things. And he gets all those in place, and then he brings man on the scene. And we don't need to talk about man so much as this one verse, verse 29 It says, God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in which the fruit of a tree uh, yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and to everything, God saw to everything he made. And behold, it was exceedingly good. In the New King James and other translations, it says, See, and God said, See, and what in this place and God said behold same word so he goes to Adam and he says I've created all this stuff and then he takes Adam and he takes him and he says see I made this plant right here and it does this thing see I made these frogs and they do this thing see I made this cow and it does this thing and these are some of the functions of these things and he shows them to him and he tells them I made all these plants for you and them to eat you'd have you probably wouldn't have lived long Dave they were all vegetarians in that era but I'm going to tell you that the, that the stuff tasted better and it was more nutritious and it was better all the way around and there was no sickness. And so uh, it was pretty amazing that God takes him and just like you would a, like a kid. I used to do that with the kids. You know, we'd go out and I'd show them, you know, that's poison ivy. That's Virginia creeper. You know, if you get poison ivy on you, rub the Virginia creeper on you and it'll help take off the ivy, you know, and stuff like, you know, here, these are blackberries. You can eat these. These are those, um, what are they called? What's the, the poisonous... Uh, Anyway, there's another berry that grows on the tree there that you get pokes out. Poke berries, you know, they're they're poisonous when they're green, but okay when they're purple and stuff. You know, you show the kids it's the same thing. God takes Adam and he shows them around and he gives them a starting point. He says, All the stuff, it's already here. Just take what I got, what I made for you, and apply it. And so I'm gonna skip men there and just talk about this last thing which I talked about this morning for a moment, and that is God's final provision to man, and that was the day of rest. And it Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who's with you within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Hallowed it, sorry. So all the provisions of God from first light to the Sabbath have been for the benefit of man. It says here in Genesis three times between one and, and two verse three that God blessed whatever be, and God blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply fill the earth. Be, God blessed man and said be fruitful and multiply fill the earth take subdue it and take dominion over it. And here in, in 2, verse 3, it says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified. These are blessings from God to men. 
And we need to be careful, like I said this morning, to not to recognize a blessing from a curse. We see a day of rest as a day for ourselves to go run and do and, and work and piddle and whatever. And God says, rest. What does he mean? He means take a look at everything I made for you and I provided it for you and I prepared it for you. And all you have to do is be plugged into the machine. And what you are. And you can eat from the ground and you can eat from the animals and you can enjoy the whatever. And, and you need to worship the Most High God in that. <clears throat> Many Christians, when they, when they talk about the Sabbath day, they're really quick to run to the New Testament and say things like, well, we're no longer under law, but under grace. And they look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, you won't find the Sabbath mentioned in the New Testament. And I know I'm beating a dead horse here a little bit, but the Sabbath is implied in the New Testament across the board. Paul kept the Sabbath, Peter kept the Sabbath, Christ kept the Sabbath. He did the things that, that God's word allows on the Sabbath, Christ did. And so, yeah, the Sabbath is still, it's still relevant to God. He said, keep the Sabbath. Rest on the Sabbath. Dedicate a day of worship and rest. Rest for you and worship to the Lord. And it's not any day. We know what the Sabbath is. It's the seventh day. And uh, that would be Saturday. The first day of the week is Sunday. So at some point, rest. We plan everything else in our life, yet we don't allow time for rest. So we need to take time, and we need to rest. And in that rest, we need to see who God is, and we need to worship him for his provision for us. Um, yeah, we can think on his continual goodness and recognize his unending daily provision for us. Okay. Hope that's helpful for you. I, I got our prayer list here. It's on the front row here, Dave, if you want to give those out. And we want to make sure that we take time to look over our prayer list. May I have one, sir? So if the list looks familiar, what I do is I just use this as my outline and I add names or take names away, and that's why it looks so familiar week by week. And I would ask that if you have a prayer request or something you need to add to it, all you got to do is call me and I will add it on here. And whether you're here or not, we'll make sure we take the time to pray for you. Um, <clears throat> on our prayer requests, as far as health, it's the usual customers there. Dave Pritchard's mother, I think she's on the upswing there, right, Glinda? It's Glinda, right? Yeah, she's on the upswing. And then also uh, Lane Reed, is uh, they, they went to get some uh, work done. I mean, he's, he's been out, and they, it was looking real bad, and now he's turned the corner. And it uh, looks like he's improving there as well. Uh, the Lost, uh, McKinley Belvin, if you keep him in mind. Alvin, these are people that I know and are somewhat close uh, in re in, uh, to where I live and what I do, and Kelly Shepard, too. I sent Kelly a message. He sent me something the other day, and he wanted me to come work yesterday on something. And he said, oh, I forgot it was. And he sends back Shabbat Shalom. And, uh, and I sent to him. Uh, may your day, may your name be found written in the book of life. And he goes, I'm working on that. And and uh, he's 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 an unsaved man, but he knows that if he dies today, he's going to the fiery pit. And he kind of laughs about it, but at the same time, he's very fearful of that. So keep him in mind, keep him in prayer. Uh, Nepal was the country of the week. We saw that video this morning. It looks like it's not persecution that's the problem, but access is the problem. I'm leaving for Nicaragua on Saturday. Um, with Irene and Renee, and uh, but they won't get there till the next day, so I'll be there a day 
about a, a little over a day, or about a day by myself, and then they'll come the next day. So that's always good. My Spanish is passable, but it's not outstanding. But I can, I can make it for a day. Um, our country, our school board, this boy and his family. What was the name again on that? Strong? Logan Cheryl. <coughs> for schools and that sort of thing. Uh, committed suicide, tragically. Uh, somebody else started calling the guys from the, the rescue mission, the tribe. Um, we need to keep our man, uh, uh, Jacob, put him on there. He's made a really bad call, and uh, he's kind of on the lam right now. So uh, let's keep him in prayer that he'd come to his senses and make better, make better decisions. My nephew, he was he was always getting in trouble in school, and so he never got to have the special. He never got to sit with the other kids at lunch. He had to sit at the table of better decisions, and so that was no better table of poor decisions. What was it called? Table of better choices. Yeah. So he was always sitting at the table of better choices by himself. All the other kids could talk and goof off. Yeah, the table of better choices. Yeah, yeah. You had to sit anytime they had anything special, and he like never got to do anything. He was always at the table of better choices. That's where Jacob is at right now. Mm -hmm. And in our fellowship, on our fellowship there, I wrote the grace of God on our fellowship. In that, I mean, we're fixing to have a transition in music as Sarah leaves. Something's going to happen. Well, we're going to have kids singing more. You know, might be you singing. We don't know. On Sunday nights, what I would like to do is, is have, uh, we might try to sing some, some hymns. I'm getting some hymn books if I can get the people to get them our direction. But somebody gave us 100 hymn books, so... We'll try to sing some traditional hymns on Sunday night, we, accompanied or not, we don't know. Um, and then see where you fit in our fellowship here. In, it, it could be in teaching, it could be in a small group, it could be in a Sunday school, it could be in something. And also with our young people, um, you know, we need to focus on that. We're going to have some, some, um, some kind of family, what do you call it, strong, what do they call it? Like a family game night, a family fun night. You know, try to be, try to come to that. It doesn't really matter your age. Try to come and trust Bill. Focus on the family, yeah. So we're going to try and work on that and have some more. We used to do that more often when we were at the school because we didn't have a place like this, and we've got slack in that. So we're going to try and do that again maybe once a month and have time for families to come together. Chris Puckett and then James Miller. Okay. These all, uh, Ben was uh, uh, Chris Puckett's... Um, Sidekick there, his uh, cellmate, and he just got out. He's at the rescue mission. Seth is at the rescue mission. This lady, Charlotte, she's a dandy. She's a real sweet gal, real funny. Um, but, I mean, you're not at the mission because you're making better choices. But, yeah. Ben, you met Ben? He's got a big jutting under jaw. I don't know, yeah. Anyway. Okay. All right. So let's pray together. I'll turn off the, the microphone there and, and we'll we'll pray together.